Section 17 of Some Famous Women by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12 Queen Victoria, Part 2. The idea of her marriage with Prince Albert was still cherished, but she was in no hurry and meanwhile was very anxious about his education. She wrote to her uncle that it was her great desire to see Albert a very good and distinguished young man in eighteen thirty nine he again visited england with his brother and it was not long before the two young people fell genuinely in love with one another it was the queen who had to make the proposal she called him to her room and feeling it a very nervous moment told him of her wish she wrote to her uncle the warm affection he showed me on learning this gave me great pleasure i love him more than i can say i do feel very very happy they were married the following february and the queen found in prince albert all the happiness she had hoped for in after years when she looked back she felt that the years of her reign before her marriage were the least sensible and satisfactory parts of her whole life because of the constant amusement and flattery and mere politics in which she had lived now she had the joy of a companion to help her in all her work and to share her life with her but at first there were difficulties prince albert was not popular he was too german for english people to understand him the queen bitterly resented the attacks made on him the ministers did not like him to take any part in affairs and his position was very uncomfortable but in time he showed how much he could help the queen and came to share all her work they had nine children and the queen was a devoted mother so it was well that she had the prince's help in her public life her love and admiration for him was unbounded after three years of married life she wrote to her uncle i am grateful for possessing really without vanity or flattery or blindness the most perfect being as a husband in existence or who ever did exist and i doubt whether anybody ever did love or respect another as i do my dear angel in eighteen forty two they paid their first visit to scotland and enjoyed it immensely so much did the queen love the quiet and liberty of her life in scotland that after several visits she rented balmoral house in aberdeenshire that she might have a scotch home of her own and after a while was able to buy the estate and build a new house on it she did not like london after her marriage and wanted a place where she and her family could live undisturbed by too many officials so she also bought a place in the isle of wight and built osborne house there at both osborne and balmoral life was very simple the queen would run in and out of the house as she liked and walked about alone visiting the cottagers and enjoying her talks with them the queen and prince albert gave much attention to the education of their children lady littleton was named royal governess and superintended the nursery the children were brought up very simply the queen spent as much time as she could with them played with them and interested herself in their friends and their pets and they were encouraged to act little plays and recite poetry to their parents prince albert like the queen was very musical and they often sang together when the famous composer mendelssohn visited england he was invited to buckingham palace and they both sang to his accompaniment 
he said that the queen sang really quite faultlessly and with charming feeling and expression they also loved the theatre and plays were often acted at windsor several times the queen visited germany with prince albert and they also went to ireland but wherever they were they never failed in their attention to public business it was a great grief to the queen when a change in the government came and lord melbourne had to resign but she always remained friends with him and wrote to him constantly at first she dreaded having to do with his successor sir robert peel but she grew to like and admire him very much with nearly all her ministers her relations were most cordial only with lord palmerston did she find it difficult to get on and she never was quite easy with gladstone they all alike admired her industry and strong sense of duty and her great knowledge of public affairs in eighteen fifty one the first international exhibition was held in london the idea of such an exhibition was prince albert's and at first it met with great opposition both at home and abroad but it turned out a triumphant success many foreign princes came to the opening ceremony the queen described it to her uncle as the greatest day in our history the most beautiful and imposing and touching spectacle ever seen and the triumph of my beloved albert people hoped that this great gathering of all nations would prove a festival of peace but it was only a very few years afterwards that the crimean war broke out in this war england took part as the ally of napoleon the third who had just made himself emperor of france the queen followed the war with deepest anxiety she felt proud of the conduct of her troops as she always called them she welcomed them on their return presented them with medals with her own hands and did all in her power to show sympathy with their sufferings before the war was over she paid her first visit to paris to show her friendship for the emperor whose personal charm at that time attracted her very much later she learnt to distrust him she was received with immense enthusiasm and wrote that she was delighted enchanted amused and interested and had never seen anything more beautiful and gay than paris when the crimean war was over the queen visited aldershot and reviewed the troops herself she started a new order called the victoria cross to be given to those soldiers who had done some specially brave act and gave it herself to fifty-two men at the review in hyde park in eighteen fifty six her eldest daughter was betrothed to the crown prince of prussia the queen was delighted and showed her high spirits by dancing vigorously at all the balls given in honour of the betrothal she even danced a scottish reel to the bagpipes the next year came the great anxiety of the indian mutiny the queen felt it much more distressing than the crimean war where there was glory and honourable warfare and where the poor women and children were safe it was also a sorrow to part from her eldest daughter when she married but she rejoiced in her happiness and visited her in germany in eighteen fifty nine at the age of thirty-nine she became a grandmother when her first grandchild the present emperor of germany was born her family were an ever-growing joy to her and life was full of interest and happiness 
but in the year 1861 a sudden end came to her happiness. In the spring her mother died, and she wrote as a broken-hearted child to her uncle, saying that she could not imagine life without her. A greater blow was awaiting her. Before the end of the year, Prince Albert fell ill, and almost before his illness was known to be serious, he died. The queen was utterly crushed. In her first heartbroken letter to her uncle, she said, My life as a happy one is ended, the world is gone for me. It was indeed a terrible loss for her. She had absolutely depended on him and lent on his advice, and she had loved him and looked up to him as a perfect being. Ten years before, she had written about his wonderful fitness for business and politics and added, I grow daily to dislike them both more and more. We women are not made for governing, and if we are good women, we must dislike these masculine occupations. Now she was left to govern alone, bereft of what had been the joy of her home life. Immense sympathy was shown to her, and she was much touched by it. She determined to take her husband's example as her guide, and to give the same minute care as he had given to public affairs but she shut herself up in absolute seclusion seeing no one but her family and those whom she had to see for business at first people accepted the queen's seclusion as natural and respected her grief but as the years passed and she made no change many complaints were made of her neglect of the duties of her position the newspapers published criticisms of her conduct which deeply wounded her she made no change and spoke of herself as a cruelly misunderstood woman. At first, her only public appearances were to unveil statues of her husband, and occasionally she opened Parliament. She worked as hard as ever at public business and was much taken up with family affairs and with the arrangements for the marriage of her children. She liked best to be at Balmoral, and felt Windsor a sad and gloomy place. During these years, her seclusion led to her being decidedly unpopular, and it may rightly be considered the one serious mistake of her life. The serious illness of the Prince of Wales in 1871 roused much sympathy and helped to make the crown again more popular. When Mr. Disraeli became Prime Minister, the Queen began to find public business more interesting. He was not only clever, but he took much trouble to be agreeable to her and to amuse her, so that she became really fond of him. She was delighted with his Indian policy, which ended in her being proclaimed Empress of India in 1876. She much enjoyed this new honor, and showed her feeling for India by having Indian servants to attend upon her, and by beginning to learn Hindustani. As the years passed, many sorrows came to the Queen through the death of her relations and friends, especially she felt the death of her second daughter princess alice she continued to exert much influence on public affairs and always did all in her power to help to keep the peace in europe in eighteen seventy nine she visited italy for the first time and she often repeated her visit and travelled also in other countries always in a very quiet and simple way in eighteen eighty seven the queen had been on the throne for fifty years and she was persuaded to keep her jubilee publicly. On the jubilee day, June 21st, 
1887, she went in procession, preceded by 32 princes of her own family, sons, sons-in-law, and grandsons, to a thanksgiving service in Westminster Abbey. Representatives of all the countries of Europe, of India, and the colonies followed her. The immense crowds who gathered to see her pass received her with an enthusiasm which deeply touched her. She said on her return to Buckingham Palace that she was very tired, but very happy. The same enthusiasm attended other celebrations in connection with the Jubilee. In her old age, the Queen was as popular, perhaps even more popular than she had been in her youth. People in all the wide lands which made up the British Empire felt that she was the outward sign of the unity of the Empire. They venerated her for her long and blameless life devoted to duty. In far distant lands, black and savage people honored the great white queen and trusted in her justice. After the Jubilee, she went about a little more and saw more people. She visited Berlin and spent some time in the south of Europe each year. She received many royal visitors, and once more there were concerts and dramatic performances at court. In spite of her age, she still gave as much attention as ever to business, and would spend two or three hours a day going through papers and signing her name to public documents. In 1897, when she had reigned sixty years, her second, or Diamond Jubilee, was celebrated. This time a great state procession was made all through London, and on reaching St. Paul's Cathedral, the Queen's carriage paused at the bottom of the steps for a brief service of thanksgiving. Her last years were clouded by the war in South Africa. Amidst all the gloom that followed on the news of the disasters suffered there by the English troops, the Queen never despaired of ultimate success. She took every opportunity of showing her sympathy with her soldiers and telling them of her gratitude for their exertions. The war was not over when she began to show signs of failing health. One of the last things she did was to receive Lord Roberts to hear from him about the state of things in Africa. Little more than a week afterwards, she died at the age of 81. When we think over her long life and the great position she filled, we find that she owed her influence more to the strong sense of duty she always had and to her constant determination to do what she felt to be right than to any special gifts or talents she possessed. She was a wonderful woman because she was always true to the best that she knew, and it is this that makes her an example for us all. The End End of Section 17 Recording by Pamela Nagami, M.D. in Encino, California, October 2019 End of Some Famous Women by Louise Creighton